everybody. Welcome in for the first time in quite some time to an edition of Cover 4 Live. I'm Brandon Adams. Happy to have Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley, Mike Griffin on hand there as well. As we get ready to talk about everything going on with UGA, both a look ahead towards spring practice before we're done, a look at the immediate present and the need to still fill another coaching vacancy with the dogs. We'll deal with that before today's show is uh, completed too. But before the show began, Jeff Sintel was actually kind of kicking around kind of an interesting topic where I want to begin tonight that obviously Georgia accomplished one of its longstanding goals in the 2021 season, winning a national championship, something that this Georgia coaching staff had craved since they first came on the job in 2016, and Georgia fans in general have been craving for more than 40 years. Well, now they've got that, so what comes next after that? And specifically, Jeff, I think the way you worded it was, is how do you define success now for UGA that a national championship was is in the fold? So – since you asked the provocative question, I'll let you be the first to give the answer. Provocative. Well, that's a, that's a, that, what's that, what's that role? What's that ice skating movie with Will Ferrell? I don't know what it is, but it sounds provocative. That's our question today for cover four. I'm going to say avoid the dip, Brandon. What I mean by that is avoid the dip where LSU wins a championship one year and then they kind of go what happened there uh, the year later where, where they avoid like, I mean, let's face it, Mike Griffith has been proffering uh, this uh, opinion here that he thinks 14 to 15 Bulldogs will get picked in the draft. And if 14 happen, that ties LSU for, I believe, the all-time mark for one school and one program, especially one national champion in the preceding uh, NFL draft or any NFL draft. And I, I think that's what Georgia needs to do. I think even the most picky, maybe ticky-tack Georgia fan, they probably say – avoid the dip, maybe win the SEC next year, get into the playoffs. And I think that sustainability, I think that would be a, a good way for Georgia to define success in the near future for Kirby Smart. Yeah, Jeff says avoid the dip. I might even use a different D word. I might say avoid disaster first and foremost, because what Jeff touched on is something we've talked about on Dog Nation Daily a few times, that if you look at the last 15 years in the SEC, there are three instances in which coaches won national championships we're out of a job two years later. Urban Meyer after the 2008 Florida National Championship. Uh, he was gone by 2010. Uh, same thing with uh, uh, Gene Chizik, who wins the title in 2010, was gone by 2012. Uh, just a couple of years ago, Ed Orgeron, not only a national championship, but one of the greatest teams in recent memory. And two years later, he was gone there as well. Now, I don't expect that same kind of thing to happen to Kirby Smart. But, but step one is just kind of avoiding the post-championship disaster. A few SEC teams have dealt with that in recent years, but then beyond that, obviously finding a way to contend again on a regular basis seems like a reasonable first step towards anything that might come after that. Uh, Mike, what do you think? You know, it's tough, B.A., because circumstance plays such a big role in it. I mean, if everybody stays healthy, you'd like to imagine Georgia back in the SEC championship game. You'd like to see Kirby Smart win his second SEC championship. I mean, you know, lost in the shuffle. Georgia is not the SEC champs. They were reminded of that by Fedarian uh, Williams at the at the Senior Bowl when he was asked about Georgia knocking him off. He said, "Hey, I just want to remind everybody the SEC runs through Alabama." And uh, when I did that video with Devonte Wyatt, I was actually talking to Devonte about Fedarian, and Fedarian crashed into the screen and continued to talk to Smack. Now they had some fun with it. And Devontae ended up with a higher draft grade. So I guess ultimately he won Senior Bowl week. But you better believe there's still a lot of talk. And, you know, to me, I think no less than an SEC championship game appearance. And quite frankly, a New Year's uh, Six Bowl win. I mean, Kirby spoiled us. Kirby's had such great success 
in the postseason. And I think we all feel like, you know, even though they lost a lot on defense, there's so many promising recruits that have come in and players like Jalen Carter that seem on the verge of stardom. And then conversely on offense, I don't know if there's a better offensive line in college football. And I've been vocal about this too, guys. I think you're upgrading with Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. So, you know, to build on the point that Mike made a moment ago, Connor, I mean, speaking as a fan here for a moment, I'll be disappointed if Georgia's not back in the college ball playoff next year. Now, whether that happens because they do win the SEC or they make the playoff as an SEC runner-up the way they did this year, one way or another, we've only seen two national champions in the playoff era not make the playoff again the year after winning the national title. So, you know, certainly precedent would say that Georgia should be back and that discussion here once again. So, yeah, I'd like to see Georgia win the SEC. Speaking as a fan, I'd like to see Georgia win the national championship again. But I think the baseline level of achievement is being back in the college football playoff. I think that would stand out as a pretty fair defense of your national title. And I don't disagree with that. I guess my question is, you know, let's say there's a one-loss Big 12 champion. Let's say Baylor. We'll throw them out there. Let's say there's a, you know, Clemson goes 11, 12 and 1 wins the ACC. Let's say, you know, you have a one loss Big Ten champion in Notre Dame. And let's say Georgia loses in the SEC championship game to Alabama, a team that is going to be, I believe, favored when the two teams meet in the SEC championship game. In that instance, you know, maybe there's a world where Georgia gets left out because of the politics so many people love to speak about. But if, if they're having a season, I think, similar to maybe what Alabama had, at least in the regular season last year, where, they win some games, maybe they're not exactly supposed to, but the sort of institutional knowledge that is built into this team and this program allow them to prevail over teams when they're not playing their best. I think that's a positive sign in the step uh, of where this program is headed and where it will continue to exist because I, I'd argue Georgia has as hard a barrier or as high a barrier to entry to get into the college football playoff just because there's a very real sense that you either have to go undefeated and lose that last game in the, in the SEC championship game, or if you do drop a game during the regular season, which we saw Alabama do a season ago, we've seen Georgia do in 2019, 2018 as well. If you don't win that SEC championship game, it's going to be very hard for you to get into the college football playoff. So the college football playoff for us kind of, to me, depends on what the rest of college football ends up looking like. But if you're 12 and one at the end of the regular season, to me, that still constitutes a successful season, given all the turnover that we're going to see this offseason. You know, and Jeff, you want to make it be about this past season for a moment before you even won the national championship of your Georgia. You know, by beating Michigan in the Orange Bowl, and I've said to Georgia fans a lot in the last few weeks, you should really go back and rewatch that game. For as much fun as the win against Alabama was, you know, Michigan was a one-loss, 12-1, and one, is that right? 12, yeah, 12-1 and one Big Ten champion you know, one of the biggest brands in college football. Georgia completely decimated them there, there that day. And so even prior to winning the national championship, that gave Georgia kind of a signature win. And ultimately, if Connor's right, you say, well, hey, if you go 12-1, and one, you can't really, you know, argue about that too much. I would say that's true as long as there's some sort of trophy on the wall because of that. We all, I think, are of the mind that Georgia plays a pretty favorable schedule this year, which is good in terms of getting into championship contention. But if you fall short of winning a championship – that favorable schedule all of a sudden becomes the kind of thing that feels a little bit, uh, you know, hollow in that, hey, maybe that schedule that you played doesn't provide the signature win that makes you feel like you accomplished something. Because had Georgia not beaten Michigan before the Orange Bowl, uh, I'm, I'm not quite so sure many Georgia fans would have looked back on the 2021 season as having much in the way of a signature win. The college football playoff changed all that. But prior to that, maybe that resume was a little lacking there. 
And, and one thing I will say on that in terms of Georgia's resume next season, you know, we'll see what Oregon looks like. First-year head coach under Dan Lanning. We saw some of the struggles Kirby Smart had as a first-time head coach at Georgia there. But from really 2023 on, you look at this Georgia schedule – they're going to have teams every year, even in the non-conference, that I would say constitute a, a, as a marquee win. You know, 2023, you mm-hmm. got a game against Clemson to start the season. And that okay. game is still, I think, a, a big win for Georgia at the start of the 2021 season. 2024, you get um, you get Oklahoma, you get Oklahoma, or 2023, you get Oklahoma. 2024, you get Clemson. 2024, you also get Texas A&M, which could be a spicy game by the time that time those two teams meet there. So with the way Georgia has ramped up its non-conference schedule as well, I think that's going to help in the future. My only question with next year's schedule is I'm not exactly sure what we're going to see from an Oregon program under a first-year head coach in Dan Lanning, given some of the struggles we saw with Kirby Smart in his first year as a head coach. What do you think, Jeff, on anything? Well, I guess I guess I want to make a, a point about maybe short attention span theater. Everybody looked at the 2021 schedule and wondering, you know, where were the marquees, where were the amazing games, and here's what happens. Kentucky goes gangbusters, Arkansas goes gangbusters, and all of a sudden Georgia's schedule looks high and mighty. I think one of the things we can probably uh, assume now about the SEC is somehow a Georgia schedule that one wonders, you know, where are the marquee national television games in in April and May? Uh, you see the season bears fruit, and you see these big-time opponents showing up on the schedule. I think that's probably what you can see a lot. I still think – uh, you know, Georgia's schedules to come. I really think Florida is going to be formidable. I really do. I think Florida is kind of figuring it out. I think their roster is maybe two years behind Georgia's at the very minimum. But I think they're going to figure it out very quickly. Quickly. And the reason I don't say three or four years behind Georgia is because the transfer portal can kind of hedge those bets and trim that margin of, margin of talent considerably. Mike, let me change the topic just slightly, but still kind of in the same vein in that – it's not just the Georgia program that's won a national championship. Now it's the coach, Kirby Smart. Now his story and all this, not nearly as long as the program's is. As I said before, Smart's only been a head coach since 2016. But early in his career here, he's accomplished a pretty big feat. He's won that national championship. You know, from a resume standpoint, what's kind of the next thing for him now that he's checked this box? How would you kind of answer the, the legacy that Kirby's coaching for beyond all of this? Well, you know, I think I think Jeff said it best. I mean, you don't want to be a one-hit wonder, right? I mean, you know, Ed, Ed Orgeron was everybody's cup of tea for a while. You know, they couldn't get enough of him. You know, the Cajun accent, lovable guy. Everything was just rocking and rolling. And then all of a sudden you have a few off-field issues. LSU loses control. And then they don't win enough football games to justify the off-field behavior. Like, for example, Urban Meyer had at Florida. You know, the fact is, if you win enough games, people are willing to look the other way when you have off-field issues. And I dare say if LSU had won 10 or 11 games, Ed Orgeron would still probably be the head coach, even with the, you know, improper uh, compliance in some of the areas of the uh, sexual uh, incidents that occurred off the field at at LSU in terms of the the compliance. I mean, there was fireable offenses that happened there. Um, You know, heck, you could say that about Les Miles, too you know, looking back, but when guys are winning, they look the other way. So, you know, to me, as much as what Georgia does, I think it's how they do it. And um, I'm not, I'm not ringing any alarm bells here, B. I I want to be clear. This is not a sky is falling take, but I am concerned about the leadership vacuum. Not to say I don't have confidence in the young men coming up, but you lost a lot of great leaders off of last year's team. As we talked about, 
14, 15 guys being drafted, but also program guys. And Nolan Smith's not exactly off to the best start as a team leader. So I, I and I do assume that he'll get back on track, but not a good look for Georgia or Nolan. And and who else is there? Like I look at Nolan as a guy that to me, you know, could be the face of the defense. Now Jalen Carter might be the best player, but the fact that they haven't even let us talk to him in two years suggests he's not going to be doing interviews every week. Nolan Smith, conversely, is a very vocal guy, is a very articulate speaker. And uh, to me, I think Nolan is going to be one of the primary figures on the team and Nolan's leadership. I think Cedric Van Pran, Jeff knows a lot of these recruits better, but when I was talking with Jamari and Schaefer and, and the guys at the Senior Bowl, you know, unanimously Cedric Van Pran was the guy they talked about. Uh, you know, I think you'll see Kenny McIntosh, more and more of him in a leadership role, certainly Stetson. Um, you know, I, I think he'll be a game captain uh, at some point next year as well. You know, Connor, one of the things that Mike brings up in regards to Kirby's legacy that I think is worth considering, and I have to admit that if Kirby were listening to this, he's like, gosh, they just moved the goalposts on me because for a long time it's, hey, can you win a national championship? And now it becomes, hey, can you win two national championships? But there is a, a very fair point in all of that in that if you look at the list of guys that win multiple national championships compared to the guys that li- that win one national championship, it is a very different kind of list. And Mike cites the example of Ed Orgeron, and we don't know where his coaching career is going here. But I'd add another guy to this discussion. Like Jimbo Fisher won a title in 2013 at Florida State. I think that's one of the best teams in recent memory. But that national championship alone has not been enough to validate him in the eyes of a lot of fans because we have debates all the time about how good of a coach he might be, just given what's happened on the field thus far for the Aggies and how much money that he's paid that, you know, to me, if you've got a chance to be like an all-time great in any field, you owe it to yourself to try to become that. And by winning a national championship this soon in his coaching career, it is conceivable that Kirby Smart could be on the list of greatest coaches of all time, just given the fact that he's got another couple decades to go about this. And so I don't know how much Kirby Smart thinks about personal legacy, but certainly to me, that's the next thing here is, going out and removing yourself from the category of guys who won a single title, win multiple titles, and now start putting yourself in kind of a very different, much more exclusive kind of club. So, B.A., can you do an exercise with me? I'd love to. The last three guys to win two championships at the same job all followed a similar path. Urban Meyer wins in 2006 at Florida. There was a slight dip. I believe they go 10 and three in 2007. Tim mm-hmm. Tebow still won the Heisman, but you know, not the same quality of team. Win a national championship game again in 2008. Mm-hmm. Alabama wins a title in 2009. They go 10 and three that next year. In 2011, they win a national championship. Clemson wins a national title in 2016. Still makes it to the college football playoff in 2017, but that was not very clearly not the same level of talent. What do they do next year? They go undefeated, win a national title in 2018. Really so what recent game. history has told us is that if you're going to be a coach that wins two national titles uh, at a certain job, like a Georgia, a Florida, a Clemson, uh, Alabama, for example there, you win your first one, and that's great. There's a slight little reset there where you know you take a, a small step back, not a significant one, but a, a slight step back that next even season, given all that you stand to lose from that first title team. But that year after where so many of those young guys on that first title team are now veterans, 
you make that reascent up the mountain and conquer it and win another national title. I think that's maybe sort of the trajectory I would look to see Georgia follow in, in terms of discussing success for this season. It's how much of this team is set up for success going into, say, the 2023 season. And is Georgia, say, on that same level or even above where Alabama and Ohio State will enter that season? I think that's a very interesting point, Connor, and that's a really strong precedent with the skip year in between the two championships. Uh, pretty interesting all the way around. Jeff, before you wrap this up, let me open up a different can of worms here for a moment. You know, when we hear Smart speak, National Signing Day is an example of this, you still hear a guy that seems pretty heavily street, steeped into the traditions as we've understood them in college football and maybe a little slower to embrace some of the new stuff, certainly some of the name, image, likeness stuff. I would say that Smart – has been a little slower to embrace that than the appearance that other coaches have in relationship to that. I wonder how much he kind of views his legacy to be a caretaker of college football the way that it has been, how well it served the players to play it. And maybe he's going to be a little bit of one of those guys that stands athwart history yelling stop here uh, a bit in, in the future in, in regards to maybe just trying to slow down some of this change that's happening around the sport. Uh, Jeff, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think, you know, to be completely uh, transparent here, I think Kirby is is one of those coaches. Maybe you can call it old school. Maybe you can call it traditional. But he doesn't want to promise players anything before it's earned. I think if you go and look through, through the balance of his time as the Georgia coach, that's what we've always heard from him. Practice field. We'll figure it out in practice. If you earn it in practice, you play on Saturdays. I think all this name, image, and likeness stuff and all these things about promising things to players or – basically empowering players before they get on the campus and do a single stinking thing. I think that's one of the things everybody worries about with the wild, wild west type stuff of college football right now. He doesn't promise starting positions. He doesn't promise playing time. He promises opportunity. And I think a lot of these things that these players are getting now with these deals or the intended deals coming into college football, I think that goes against the grain there. And I think the way Kirby has built teams, his foundational look about teams I think that that kind of runs counter to what is known and what is successful for Kirby Smart at Georgia and then Kirby Smart at Alabama. And, you know, for Mike's point, um, I think I think a lot of he, he mentioned the leadership vacuum and I think it's a valid point. But I just know the type of young men that are on the team and maybe have been waiting their time. And I think a lot of people didn't know how good the leaders were going to be in 2021 before the season came at hand. And I think you know, just running off my top of my list, I would say Cedric Von Prong Granger, Chris Smith, Keely Ringo, uh, William Poole third, Jamon Dumas Johnson. Uh, I think that's on the defensive side of the ball. I think on the offensive side of the ball, Stetson, I think Kenny McIntosh, Kendall Milton, uh, Warren McClendon most especially there. Probably one of the – I think the single most underrated player on the Georgia football team coming back. I would probably say Warren McClendon might be one of those guys. Uh, if everybody remembers – old 80s type uh, adsmen and pitchmen type things. I think Warren McClendon is one of those young men that's an EF Hutton type guy that when he speaks in the locker room, everybody's going to listen. I think he's done his job as well as anybody on the Georgia roster for the past two years as anyone on the football team. And I think that goes a long way in the locker room. I think Georgia's going to be pretty, pretty well steeped in the, uh, the, the leadership vacuum type stuff. It's just kind of a, it's their turn. It's their time. Just wait and see how they can do it. I want to change the subject here, but Mike, let me give you the last word on anything that's been discussed before we move on. Yeah, you know, Connor, I loved Connor's point, and I think, you know, 95% right. But 2011, Alabama had this tremendous defense, just like Georgia. 
they repeated as champions in 2012, even though they lost four first-round draft picks, which it appears George is going to do. So there's not necessarily a dip. I don't think it has to happen. But that wasn't – I mean, Alabama had won multiple titles by that point. It's a different calculus. Well, you said the last – you said let's look at the last championships, and you cited 2009 Alabama and technically the 11 that was their, That was Nick Saban's the point, first at Alabama. I, I think your point is valid. My, my point is it wouldn't be completely unprecedented if, Al, if Georgia were to repeat if this offense can grow – Enough, because I think the defense, while losing arguably the most dominant front seven, probably since 1992 Alabama, um, I think the defense is still well stocked, and I think the offense has a chance to truly be dynamic. And you know, we know the ball is going to be in Stetson's hand first. Munkin made that clear recently that it's not some wide open competition at quarterback. It's not going to be let's split the reps and see who wins. It's Stetson Bennett. And now that's not to say that it couldn't change. I mean, injuries happen. Um, you know, Kirby may look for something more. We, we don't know who's going to uh, emerge in the spring. Uh, but to me, I think this offense, when I look at the running backs, when I look at the offensive line, when I look at the maturation of the receivers, I think this offense has a very high ceiling and can go as far as whoever is at quarterback will take them. So I'm not saying Georgia can't win a national championship, just to be clear. Let me move on to this before the task of winning championships or anything like that. There's at least another coach that needs to be hired around these parts. As Jamal Adai moved on to Miami, opening up, we'll call it a 10th position. We think it may have something to do with uh, the defensive <laughs> secondary. That's the role, obviously, Adai was in. Connor, what do you think? I think I'm going to fill this spot. So I'm actually really interested, not so much who they hire. I'm sure they're going to get some sharp young assistant who's going to be able to recruit and relate to young men and, and assure them that they're going to, that George is the right place for them. And I'll probably write about this sometime next week. I'm really interested in what this next hire says about Will Muschamp, a guy who, if you've read Jeff or you followed recruiting for this 2022 cycle, he was a really, really important figure in closing some of those big battles down the set, down the stretch. Julian Humphrey, Jaheim Singletary, uh, the list goes on and on and extends even into this 2023 class. I believe today, uh, Janola Aguero, a highly talented safety out of the Massachusetts area, uh, a praised Muschamp uh, online. I I'm interested to sort of see what Muschamp's role with this team is next season in terms of the on-field. I know Kirby Smart had named him as the co-defensive coordinator moving forward. We'll see. Obviously, he's going to be involved in that. You know, for all his failings as head coach at Florida and South Carolina, he's still a very well-regarded defensive mind. And I think it's undeniable the impact that he brings to this program as a recruiter and, and what he can potentially bring to this program going forward. I think he's going to say a lot by what Georgia ultimately does with this defensive backs hire. By the way, in Aguero's photo, did you see the picture of Muschamp? He's rocking the pleated pants. Like, I would give anything to have enough self-confidence in 2022 to just be, like, all out and just, like, pleated pants and, like, hey, I'm here, don't judge me. Like, that's a that's an incredible level of self-confidence on the part of – I didn't even know they sell, still sold pleated <laughs> pants. Uh, but the fact that uh, Muschamp's out there rocking those, I think speaks pretty, pretty well of his overall level of self-confidence. Jeff, uh, what do you think? Open coaching position. Connor brings up some pretty good points about Muschamp, too. Uh, I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and do this. I think Georgia's recruiting staff as terms of the elements of recruiters 
I think we'll get better and with this with this second hire. I think when you add BMAC and you add everything that they're doing with the outside linebacker position and then what they're going to do, I think they're going to bring in somebody that um, will kind of be a cor- cornerback guru. And I think uh, if, if everybody's really smart, they can kind of watch some of the reactions from the recruits, usually, especially the signees on social media over the last 24 to 36 hours. And um, I've got a good feeling that those young men know who the new cornerbacks coach, the new defensive backs coach is going to be uh, when that comes down the line. You've seen a lot of cool things from Jaheim Singletary that said, woke up, great feeling, a bulldog. You saw the same things from Julian Humphrey. I don't think that they're doing that just because they got a cool new edit or saw the, the meal plan at UGA football tradition on Instagram today. Usually these young men know these things before it happens. And, what's the best way I can say this is I can say this simply. I think, I think Will Muschamp was just as important as any other man in the Georgia staff in bringing in the best defensive back class of Georgia football history under Kirby smart, which extrapolates to say the best defensive back class ever in terms of recruiting, in terms of Georgia football history. I think it's a really super thing that Georgia has Will Muschamp still recruiting whether he's an analyst role, whether he's still on the field. Uh, the thing that ha- that's happening here with Georgia, and I think I've made this point in one of our forums or platforms before, but I really like what Kirby Smart is doing in the era of people are trying to grab the money and get the money, and they're worried about NIL. Georgia's kind of countering that, and they're going in a different direction. They're going with culture. They're going with uh, getting the right balance of those most impressive young players uh, at the same time as the guys that you can build a locker room around, build a team around. I think Connor had a really good piece about that today, which kind of pulled out what Kirby Smart said a couple of days ago, or at least a week ago on National Signing Day, where don't miss this because this was important the way he said this, why he said it then, how he said it then, and what's important. I think the reason why Georgia might not finish number one in the country in terms of the team composite recruiting rankings anymore might just be the reason why Georgia continues to win national championships going forward. Close enough to the mark, but getting the right guys that they feel are great for Georgia, great for their team chemistry, great for culture in terms of what everybody else is trying to go find a way to acquire the very best players in the country. Mike, the other thing about uh, Muschamp that comes to mind for me is as impactful as he was on the defensive secondary recruiting this 2022 class, when linebacker Jalen Walker made his announcement of Georgia. This is going back, obviously, many, many months ago. The first figure he mentioned by name associated with UGA was also Will Muschamp as, as well, that I mean, Muschamp's credentials as a recruiter on the basis of the players he recruits, uh, I don't think you can say enough about that because the uh, tangible evidence is literally all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I thought when Will was hired that he meant a lot to the program just because of his relationship with Kirby and you know, the ability for Kirby to have someone else on the staff that, you know, he could look eye to eye with and whose opinion he respected. And and I think it played out that way. Um, you know, watching what happened in the Georgia secondary, I mean, Keely Ringo couldn't play man coverage. They had to do some different things and Muschamp had some experience with different defenses. And by the end of the year, I thought Georgia's secondary was, you know, almost salty. You know, obviously they made some plays in the national champion. They got beat a few times. You know, Kendrick and Ringo got scorched plenty, but you know what? They also made some plays, and and I thought that was really big. Certainly the Keely Ringo pick six to me is is the moment of the national championship game. You know, if, if we get in the weeds and break it down, the real moment is Jalen Carter's, you know, block field goal. But, uh, but when we think about the oil painting moment, it's Keely Ringo sky and high with Kirby Smart 
jumping three feet in the in the backfield in the background. To me, that's if somebody asked me what oil painting I want, that'd be the play I'd want, um, the picture that I would want displayed. So uh, Will Muschamp was integral to that. I think he was important to the staff in many ways when when Coach Cochran had his off the field issues. I mean, you think about it, guys. If, if someone told you that a team was going to lose uh, its most impactful offensive transfer, its Heisman Trophy favorite quarterback, and a coach would leave the team because of personal reasons, um, Heisman Trophy favorite. Sorry, Connor, I saw your look. Um, and a coach would leave the team for personal reasons, you would say that team can't win a national championship. But JT goes down, Stetson steps up, Cochran takes a personal leave of absence, Will Muschamp fills in seamlessly, and, you know, Eric Gilbert parts from the team, Brock Bowers emerges. I mean, as much as Georgia dominated during the regular season, this was still a story of resilience to me, even right down to the end when they got their butts pounded by Alabama. Beat bad. Um, walking out of that – you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you're going, oh, my gosh, did anybody get the number on the truck that just ran over Georgia football? And you wondered, like, what happens next? And to see how those guys rallied, and again, that's where that leadership came in. Jordan Davis specifically, to me, the the college foot, first guy in the College Football Hall of Fame coming off this team is going to be Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, uh, you know, John Fitzpatrick. You know, guy played with a broken foot all year. Uh, you know, just so much toughness and resilience. Um, and Muschamp's a part of all that, you know, his ability. He was one of the key cogs that slid in. So getting back to the question about the hire, what about Scott Cochran? I mean, this guy was brought in for half a million dollars to be a relationship and impact guy. Are we just are we just writing him off? Is he just done? Or is there any chance he rejoins the team and can fulfill that that recruiting and leadership role that Kirby Smart rolled the dice on a couple years ago. You know, this may be fair or not. Maybe it's not fair, but we're still less than a year away from Cochran stepping away for whatever reason he stepped away from. And to me, there's something about that time frame that seems to kind of matter here and that could be very well a chance that Scott Cochran's back as an on-field coach again at Georgia eventually, but less than a year removed from stepping away I'm not saying I know for a fact that it's too soon, but if somebody else said, hey, maybe a little bit more time to work on the things you need to work on while also being around the program, that would at least make some sense to me. I'm not that comfortable speculating about that on my own end, but that's my immediate answer to this of, hey, something was serious enough with his health relatively recently to the point where he needed to step away from coaching, and that wasn't all that long ago. So, you know, maybe – maybe there's just more for him to do from a, from a personal standpoint before he feels, you know, ready to do that again. He certainly seemed to be enjoying himself when Georgia celebrated the national championship. I'm glad to see him back around the program again, but Connor, maybe it's as simple as that, that sometimes these kinds of healings, and he certainly acknowledged the fact that he needed to go through some healings. Sometimes these things just take a little bit of a while. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, even if you're watching the Olympics right now, I know there's been some discussion about Michaela Schifrin. She lost her father last February 
And it's fair to wonder what kind of impact that has had on her and her ability to perform at these Olympics. And, you know, it, obviously everyone grieves differently. And so I'm not, I, and we don't know 100% certainty what Scott Cochran has gone through. But at the same point in time, I think everyone has, has the right and the ability to, you know, if they do have a setback or for whatever, whatever happened with Cochran to sort of readjust and reacclimate on their own time. And, and Mike, to go back to your point on that too, it's like, the addition of Kirk Benedict, the former, you know, Duke assistant, who was obviously thought of as a little bit of a special team. Hey, I didn't know that before yesterday. I've just learned all this in the last 24 hours, but that's certainly the reputation we've been told that, that he has, um, you know, that would sort of suggest that, that Georgia seems to be, you know, looking for some other solutions with its uh, special teams. At least that's the, that's the tea leaves on that. Right. I mean, they had added a special teams assistant last year from Louisiana. So, Maybe, maybe not, I guess, would be my answer. I, I, I don't really know what the hire will be. You know, I can understand why they would want a cornerbacks coach. You know, Connor made a really good case on, on the beat Monday night, you know, about the number of defensive backs that you have back there and, and why that would justify, you know, having that third assistant. Or maybe you made that point, B.A. One of you guys made that a point in the discussion. And, you know, that's a really good, um, you know, point to make when you look at the fact that, even though Georgia calls itself a 3-4 base, more times than not, they're going to be in a nickel or a dime situation just because of the offensive matchups with the proliferation of spread teams. So, uh, And teams wanting to spread Georgia out, quite frankly. Uh, although I do think this Georgia team could be maybe uh, pr- pretty well equipped just because of uh, Jalen Carter and uh, the things I expect from him. But to your point, um, I, I really can't read the tea leaves on this. It's really difficult Kirby is a guy that slow plays things. Uh, we've seen that before. I'm trying to remember which hire. Wasn't it the defensive coordinator hire that he just drug out on landing? It just seemed like forever from the time Tucker left. Back in, back in 2019, I think he was going to try to go the whole year without announcing either of those two coordinator hires, I think. Well, and then he never named James Jake Fromm the starter at quarterback that one year. I'll never forget that either. I mean, there was never a depth chart the entire 2018 season and the only way that we knew that, that Jake was going to start was when Jake got tricky and somebody asked him about DeAndre Swift and he said, I can't wait to turn and hand him the ball in the first play of the game. And that's when we went, that's it. Jake Fromm is going to start. So, I, you know, does, does, and let me throw this out there. You know, last year, Jamal Adai came and then Tyke Smith came. Could the next DB coach come with a transfer in hand as well? I guess Ooh. anything is possible. I, I saw uh, Lane Kiffin going around with that sweatshirt today that said, come transfer to the SIP. I'm like, is this really what College Boy is now that we're openly uh, <laughs> campaigning for transfers? So I guess, uh, Jeff, to Mike's point, I guess anything is probably possible there. Anything and everything is probably possible. And, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, for the, the beat writers, I say welcome in. Because, you know, recruiting is 24-7, 365. And I know – very hard charging guys like Mike and Connor and all the other guys on every beat in the SEC are like, okay, there's the SEC coaches meeting. I got a little breath of air before Destin. I got a little breath of air before um, spring practice and G day. And then I got some time. I, I don't think that ever exists anymore, especially with a new cycle in college football. You, you really have a situation with Georgia. Everybody talks about drawing things out where it's like, okay, coordinator hires, special teams hires, Brandon, I think Georgia has had a litany of guys come in and out. Uh, even when they had a special teams coach 
and they have guys like Dell McGee taking care of one part of the special teams and Todd Hartley taking care of like punt, you know, punt pro and everything else like that. And punt protection. I, I think Georgia has a, like three or four guys always that was the specialist to check mm-hmm. out kickers and everything else. And I think that'll be much the norm for, for going forward. Transfer portal is going to kick up in about another couple months and guys are going to come in and come out. I think you're going to be watching Georgia and, and watching the roster and watching the ebb and flow of these programs pretty much 360 days a year now. Let me transition uh, now different topic. One of Georgia's biggest rivals is going through really an unprecedented level of turmoil with Brian Harson. And is he staying? Is he going? Can Auburn find some sort of justifiable reason to fire him? And Brian Harson is trying to fight, but seemed to keep his job based on the interview last week with ESPN.com. If you're a Georgia fan, Connor, what do you think the takeaway should be on all this? Um, I, I, if you're a Georgia fan, you're probably hoping that the Auburn house keeps burning, but they can't find a way to fire Brian Harson. And I, I tend to believe that they can't, otherwise they probably already would have at this point. Uh, because personally speaking here, I know there is an assistant on the Georgia staff that I believe would do very well at Auburn, uh, in part because he is an alum, in part because he has a lot of ties to the SEC and specifically the state of Georgia. That would be one Dell McGee. And I think Auburn would potentially be very wise if they wanted to bring some stability to yeah. this program, that Dell McGee would be a potential hiring candidate, especially you look at some of the success of other Kirby Smart assistants, Mel Tucker at George, at Michigan State now, Sam Pittman at Arkansas, who made a similar move from position coach on Kirby Smart staff to SEC West head coach. Having said all that, though, Del McGee is an absolute asset to this Georgia program, and Georgia, I believe, is worse off without him. So I think if you're a Georgia fan watching this Auburn situation, you just want to let Auburn keep doing the infighting, keep doing what they've always done, keep doing what they did at the end of the Gus Malzahn era, where, sure, they may not have been happy with him, but they really undercut what he was able to do there at the end, especially on a recruiting side. And, you know, Auburn very clearly, I think, hasn't found a way to fire Brian Harson yet without paying him the $18 million in buyout money that he would be owed. And the longer this drags out, I think the more and more likely it looks like Brian Harson might end up staying at Auburn, which seems unfathomable at some point this weekend. Uh, Mike, what do you think about the Auburn situation and how you think Georgia fans ought to respond to it? Well, it's, it's mind-blowing, and I'll just reflect back on that weekend. I went to Auburn for the Iron Bowl this year. Uh, you know, I did the Feinbaum show the day before, and somebody, I can't remember who, said to me, don't bring up Brian Harson's job security. I can't remember who or the context of it, but it was almost like, yeah, that, that part's off. Because I'm thinking to myself, like, he needs to win this game. Like, I'm going in that game going, you know – the, the 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 buzz i mean they'd lost what three games in a row and i'm thinking harson's on you know shaky ground going into this game but nobody was really like verbalizing it like you could feel it but nobody really wanted to talk about it and you know because that game is just so big i mean it's such a true rivalry it's what an in-state rivalry should look like and um connor and sorry i couldn't help but but watching that game i mean defense and georgia history got scorched by the same team a week later that auburn shut out for i mean it was really 10 to 0 i had to go back and look at the box score i thought i was misremembering it auburn really shut out alabama and bryce young for three quarters and if bryce young doesn't go magic 
Heisman Trophy winning 13 play 97 yard drive, we're not having this conversation. I mean, think about that. It took Bryce Young's magical 13 play 97 yard drive in less than a minute and a half. And suddenly Brian Harson is, is raked. And I, I don't think losing to Houston in the Birmingham bowl did it, but I think that the way that he handled the hirings. Okay. So he fires Bobo. He didn't want Mike Bobo. All right, fine. What happened with Mason? Was that a, did he tell Mason he didn't want him back? Did Mason, Nobody thinks that. I mean, I'm like, I've tried to follow this story closely, and I'm also reading reports. I'm not doing my own reporting. I understand that. But I've tried to read everything that can be read on this. There is not a single person anywhere that reported that the Mason thing was anything other than Mason's own choice, and he left for a $400,000 pay cut. So my point is, I get what you're saying about the Iron Bowl, that, hey, if they win that game, maybe all this is different. But you're still talking about a defensive coordinator who chose to leave for a real big haircut chose to leave because apparently he just didn't want to be around Brian Harson. Like that's yeah, the kind of thing that winning the Iron Bowl does not, not only did he leave, fit. he chose to go live in Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I just don't know about choosing to leave. I think a lot of times guys choose to leave when the coach tells them they're not going to be retained. I'm, I'm just, I'm not convinced that he left on his own. I'm just not. And, and he, maybe he did, but maybe he didn't. Cause sometimes you don't fire guys. Sometimes guys, you know, you kind of, you know, let them know. And, and again, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't think we can really be, 100% sure because why would you leave as Connor said to go to Oklahoma and take a $400,000 pay cut but what I've heard from people in the know is that Harson's a difficult guy just in general like very inconsistent whether he talks to the guy in the hallway whether he doesn't talk to the guy in the hallway I mean there's just some things there's a an aura around him you know that he hasn't won enough games to act like that all right. You know, some coaches are pretty difficult. And we know who they are, but they've won enough games to act like that. Brian Harson doesn't mean anything to the SEC. And, and I almost feel like because he's not from the SEC culture, that he gets a lot less leash than somebody who's from the SEC, who's had success elsewhere. It's almost like, number one, I wasn't too sure about this guy when you brought him in. Number two, he lost to Bama. You know, and, and he went under 500, and now his staff is in turmoil. And the guy that he hires from the Seahawks leaves a month later. And, oh, by the way, I heard a rumor about this girl he brought with him from Boyd. And it just suddenly, it just mushrooms, and the Auburn people are looking at each other, realizing we're not going to catch Alabama with this guy. We need something different. And so I barely it's caught George a social media firestorm. They barely caught George hey, Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, let's do a thought tree exercise here. Is it better for Georgia? Auburn retains Harson or Auburn terminates Harson? I think it's probably better they retain him, but either way, they're firing within the next season, almost certainly. I just think it's it's about a, a face saving gesture to come bring him back for another year. But I mean, Auburn's not going to be good with him in the immediate future. They're not going to be good without him. I mean, like the one thing I will say, and I, I mentioned this to some you know other fans when I kind of put my SEC hat on for a second. We are not that far removed from the point on the calendar in which Tennessee hired Josh Heupel a year ago. The Tennessee roster that Heupel inherited was every bit as bad, if not worse. I would say it's probably worse than what it currently exists at Auburn right now. And Heupel ended up being one of the surprise coaches in the SEC. So if if Auburn wanted to move on from from Harson right now, depending on who gets hired, it's not too late to still salvage the 2022 season. I don't think that's going to happen. 
I think Auburn would just simply be too embarrassed to do this after one year. I don't even think it's the cost. I think it's the embarrassment of knowing you've got $50 million spent on coaches for, you know, over the course of two years that you've moved on from. I just think there's some personal embarrassment on that. But, um, you know, I think, Jeff, to answer your question in kind of a short, shorter way, it's going to be a long time before Auburn's a threat to Georgia no matter what it does, I believe. Very fair statement. Thank you. Thank you. Don, I might drop it. Um, let me move on to something else where we still have a little bit of time here. So, obviously, we got the official dates on the start of spring practice. Middle of March, you kind of expect it's the 15th. Is that what the first practice is? Uh, that's yep, March 15th. Uh, and then G-Day is the day before Easter, which is already controversial. It's the – April 16th. April 16th. Yeah. <laughs> Remembering dates has never been my uh, strong suit. Uh, the point is, you know, spring practice is now kind of around the corner here uh, a little bit. Uh, Connor, who are you looking forward to seeing? If you had to give it one name right now, and we do, we'll do this topic 17 times between now and March the 15th, almost certainly. But one name you're looking forward to seeing spring practice that you think is a very interesting name for Georgia this spring, who'd your one name be? So the name I would love to pick is Arian Smith, but I don't know what his health status is, which is essentially the story of Arian Smith's time at Georgia. So I'm going to go a little off the board here. I'll, 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 I'll taste the forbidden fruit. I'll taste, I'll take the low hanging fruit. Give me Dalen Everett. Uh, mm-hmm. For those that don't know, Dalen Everett is a cornerback signee enrolled early at Georgia from IMG Academy, five-star prospect. Georgia has four scholarship cornerbacks on its roster right now. It'd be Keely Ringo, Kamari Lasseter, Nylon Green, and Everett. Now I expect Kamari Lasseter based off what he did last fall camp to really potentially cement himself as a starting caliber cornerback for this team. But I'm intrigued by what Everett could potentially bring to this team. And we've seen before, if you're a freshman and you're good enough in that defensive secondary where Georgia is still operating at a numbers disadvantage, Kirby Smart will put you on the field. So, you know, a season ago, we heard early positive rumblings out of what Brock Bowers was doing, what Adonai Mitchell was doing. I wonder if, if Dalen Everett is able to potentially do something similar from the defensive side of the ball at a position where I think he's going to have an opportunity to potentially make plays for this team. Mike, what about you? Is there a name you find to be interesting right now? Yeah, Eric Gilbert. I mean, you know, he's back, right? And after his, I don't know what we call it, leave of absence. But, I mean, this was the guy the last offseason that was supposed to make such a tremendous impact. You know, he did, you know, Brock Bowers did what we projected that maybe Eric Gilbert could do in a best case scenario. So it, it's good. To, it was good to see the pictures of him in the Georgia gear, uh, the national championship game celebration. And, you know, I, I hope that everything comes together. I mean, I mean, let's be real here. College is a time of growth and different people grow at different rates. Different people go through different things in life. Uh, different stages of adversity. Certainly, you know, one of the most glorious stories of last year was, you know, the rise of Stetson Bennett, the journey, right? The guy that walks on, that quits and goes to junior college, has success, that gets talked into coming back to be Jake Fromm's backup, that's a four stringer that takes over uh, in the Arkansas game and soldiers through a, a tough 2020 and then wins a national championship. I mean, what a tremendous story. We've all talked about it. And we'll continue to talk about it. It's 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 a fantastic story, and you know Eric Gilbert's story um, of going to LSU and having success and being in a program that was literally crumbling around him probably didn't offer much structure or leadership based on the off-field events. Trying to transfer back to his home school 
having some personal issues that, you know, he led that led him to take some time off. You know, wouldn't it be a wonderful story if, if, you know, Kirby Smart and the Georgia football program could, you know, provide him with a, a, a good environment where he could grow and become the, tr- the tremendous talent, um, you know, fulfill that potential that we all know he has. I mean, like Darian Kendrick, another one of my favorite stories and, you know, visiting with Darian Kendrick at the senior bowl. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, he literally said to me that Georgia feels like home to him. And this is a guy that didn't even come until last fall. So it just says so much about the program and the culture. And it would be wonderful to see Eric Gilbert um, realize his potential this season. And, and on top of it, it would go back to what I was saying that this offense has a chance to be incredibly explosive and they'll go as far as, you know, the, the quarterback play and the offense takes them because they're they're loaded. The line, the skill positions, the running backs, the receivers, you know, and now Stetson gets a full spring, which he's never had, right? So, I mean, this offense to me, um, I think could be really explosive this year. And Eric Gilbert is the player that I can't wait to see the most. But to be fair, probably still a little bit of an unknown that he's actually going to be practicing this spring, all right? Or, or am I wrong about that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful – um, I'm, I'm just hopeful to see him. I would think if he's still with the team, I, again, I, you're right to your point, B. I don't, I don't know that he's going to lace up the cleats, but I don't, I don't think Kirby lets guys walk around in sweatsuits just for the heck of it. And I'm not being a smart out toward you. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that, sure. that to me means something, something good's happening. If he's wearing that sweatsuit, he's taking part in some things. If he wasn't taking part in team drills, I don't think he would be wearing the gear and I could be wrong, but that's my presumption. Jeff, you got a name? Yeah, uh, Brandon, you're going to laugh at me. Uh, I, hopefully I won't be as long-winded, uh, but uh, this answer might sound a lot like your favorite plate at Waffle House. I, 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 I certainly think that A.D. Mitchell has to step forward and become a number one or at least a clear number two for Georgia. I think Denylon Morissette can give you Dominic Blaylock vibes. I think Oscar Delp can give you Brock Bowers vibes. Uh, I think Jamon Dumas-Johnson is going to be the dude, that dude. Uh, I really think that Michael Williams, by the end of the 2022 season – Wait a minute. We were only supposed to have one, Jeff. That's not fair. Thank you, Mike. I did preface my answer. I did preface my answer. Um, You went a a lot of places there too, Mike. I think my shot clock is still going to be a lot smaller (laughs) than yours. Um, I I think Jamon Dumas-Johnson is going to be that dude uh, in the middle of the defense. I mentioned Michael Williams. I think he has the potential to have a Jalen Carter-type season. But um, taking the family circus route from that old newspaper comic strip here, I think the guy that really has to really smack a lot of guys in the face and be like that wow guy coming out of spring practice, I think that's Shamal Munden Jr. I think that's a guy that everybody's been waiting on. He's a five-star. He played a lot of places in high school for Paulding County. Got a lot of special teams duty. Got his feet wet a little bit last year. If you want to talk about – to me, the biggest storyline for Georgia football is how they – how they replace all those playmakers on defense with some supremely talented guys. I mean, it's like, you know, the Bill Parcells line, you, you go shopping for groceries and you want to pick out the right groceries. Well, I think, I think Georgia's groceries on defense look as good as anything they have in those great aisles of Kroger. And I think Shamal Munden Jr., if he comes and comes in and he's, and he's that guy, I think that really helps a lot of things. Connor Riley. Question for the group. Uh, and, it's a yes or a no type of answer. You know, Georgia has to replace potentially three, you know, first three-round linebackers in Quay Walker, N'Kobe Dean, and Channing Tindall. And I think there's also the possibility that they have three defensive linemen drafted in the first round. 
which position is the bigger concern, defensive line or off-ball linebacker? I'll say it's linebacker because you at least know you've got a great player in the position group on defensive line. That's obviously Jalen Carter. Not a perfect fit for the guys you're losing, but you've got a great player in that position group. When it comes to those kind of interior linebackers, you have a lot of promise, but I don't know that you have nearly as much of a sure thing there. So I'll say linebacker for me is actually a pretty big concern for UGA. Mike, what do you think? I'm going to answer in Jeff Centel fashion and say punter. If I had to choose between those two positions, I would say linebacker also, Connor. Jeff, what do you think? I think they've got more D linemen. I don't think they have three or four really good linebackers. I think my answer is also linebacker. Yeah, I mean, and Connor, I want your answer too, but I'll follow up by saying it's like what helps you one year hurts you another year. Georgia had three great linebackers, and to my memory, they stayed healthy the entire time. Like, N'Kobe was healthy. Played a lot of snaps. N'Kobe was not healthy during spring, but healthy during the season. Channing and Quay there were as well. You can't have three guys play better. Uh, it's going to be unusual to have three guys like that who go through a full year healthy. And they just, they just chewed up all the snaps. And so, I mean, I, I certainly don't expect Georgia to be bad at linebacker because JDJ and Mondin and guys like that, Trouble and Tresman, you know, they're all – JDJ, are you doing that, Brandon, now? Is it now JDJ? I like that, man. I think, I think that's what people are doing. Uh, the, the point is they're all, you know, promising young, young names. Boy, oh, boy, that, that linebacker spot for Georgia a year ago was really good. Yeah, and to, to your point there, you know, we, we've heard Kirby Smart talk about this. You know, with the way Georgia rotates on its defensive line, you know, not even remove Jalen Carter from the equation. Warren Brinson's played a lot of snaps. Zion Logue has played. Zion, Zion Logue started games for this team. Zion Logue. Uh, Jamal Waltower has played a lot of snaps for this team. The experience that N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, and Quay Walker brought, there is no replacement for that. And I do think there's a chance that matters and shows up, especially early in the season, whether you do have high upside guys like Dumas Johnson, Xavier Sori, Shmel Munden, or even the veterans in, in Tresman Marshall and Ryan Davis, there's just no real replacing that for guys who haven't seen the big time reps that those three guys saw a season ago. Mike, go ahead. It, you know, in injuries, you know, and, and I, I can't remember, I think uh, Jeff and I were on a conference caller and somebody brought this up. It, it's almost like they lost the recruiting class with the injuries to Ryan Trouble Davis and Tresman Marshall. And, you know, I don't even know what to say about MJ Sherman, right? The guy they took over, Will Anderson. I mean, these are the guys who should be on deck. And instead, we're looking at class, a younger class behind. So, you know, nobody's perfect. Um, Georgia's recruited really well. But, you know, there were, some, there were some misses and there were some injuries at this position, you know, that's led to this. It's not like, it, oh, my gosh, Kirby Smart forgot to recruit in order. You know, sometimes teams can fall behind in position groups you know, either because you you miss on one guy and two guys get injured and all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at a situation where we're talking about Georgia counting on some really young players. Um, so that's I think that's something that Bears mentioned in, this, in the equation. Uh, also, Sacred Grove in the comment section was trying to guess who my guy was going to be, which I thought was kind of funny. But let me give you who my person is. And to be honest, with you, I have no idea how healthy he is. But uh, that's kind of the point. And it's not a guy we haven't seen before. It's just a guy we haven't seen in a while. It's Tate Ratledge along the offensive line. I think that one of the unknown questions for Georgia last year was how good the offensive line could have been had Ratledge stayed healthy, clearly was slated to be a starter. I thought the Georgia offensive line in 2021 was good, but probably not great. And Mike earlier in the show said he believes that the 2021 offensive line will be great. Well, to me, Ratledge coming back from injury and being the guy that he appeared to be last spring, I think is a huge part of that. Now, like I said, I'm not a medical professional. I have no idea. Uh, how ready for like full go he's going to be this spring. I'm assuming he's 
pretty healthy, I guess, but I, I don't know the answer to that. But assuming that he is, to me, he is a very interesting name because you insert him in as one of Georgia's best five, all of a sudden this Georgia offense can start to have a little bit of the look that it had in 2017 and 2018 when it did have a great tandem of running backs behind what I thought was a, a great offensive line in both those years. And, you know, if the passing game is kind of what Todd Munkin has had it being and you add the running game to that, oh, boy, that could be really fun. And I think that in a lot of ways, Ratledge kind of sits as kind of a bedrock name in helping you to determine that. Yeah, and one thing I'm going to be really interested in seeing is just how available he is for this spring practice. Mm-hmm. Has Liz Fron- had Liz Franck surgery yeah. last September, and, you know, we've seen in the past, you know, you think back – Don Blaylock, you think Zamir White, you know, sometimes rushing guys back from injury and big guys with lower lower body injuries, feet, you know, he obviously has a long history of sidetracking guys in the NBA, but that's a thing where with a guy at that weight who already has a significant foot injury, you're going to want to be extra careful with him and not maybe rush him back sooner in hopes of what he might be able to give you. Well, well the, good news go ahead, is that, the good news is that Georgia's offensive line room is so stacked that we almost, you know, and I, and even if Ratledge doesn't come back until the fall, I mean, there's just so much talent there, and 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 you want to have see some guys have some opportunity. You want to see, you know, who sticks, right? I know when we played the who might transfer game, there's so many big names in that offensive line room that are so capable, and so to Connor's point, you don't rush it back for one, but two, you know. As we plug in with Broderick Jones just sliding right in there at left tackle, you mentioned McClendon there at right tackle, or does Amarius Mims come in and play right tackle and move McClendon to guard or vice versa? And then you got Van Pran and you've still got Warren Erickson, right? We're not even into, you know, some of the next great ones that, that George has got stacked up. And that's even before Tate. Yeah. Mike, I, I guess the only thing that I would push back on that is is that I certainly agree with you on the potential that exists in that room right now. But in terms of feeling like you got five rubber stamps, five guys that you know are great, no matter how you use them from a position standpoint, I mean, I, I do think there's still some unknowns. I think there's some points to prove. You know, Amarius Mims is an elite prospect, but it's time for him to show that. You know, it's it's one of those things where you want to make sure – I mean, you know you got a great center in Van Perron. You know you got a great guy in McClendon. You know, you know, I think Broderick Jones, based on the national championship game, seems like he's ready. But I don't know that you've got five obvious givens. And to me, that's a lot of what this spring practice is going to be about is can you fill in the rest of those, you know, kind of can you kind of round off some of those rough edges and and have five guys that you truly feel good about? Because I, I don't think you're quite there yet, Mike. I feel really strong about it. You're you're right. There's more maturation that needs to take place. Certainly the synchronous. Uh, synchronicity but with what Matt Luke has done uh, the way this offensive line you know really I thought performed extremely well I thought the pass protection was outstanding I thought the run blocking was more than adequate um, while not dominant more than adequate and man I didn't mention I didn't mention Micah Morris for that matter I saw someone brought that up I mean there's just the, the talent, Brandon, is just so... Well, let me drill down on it this way, Mike. I, I would say good, not great a year ago. Did you think it was better than that? I'd say good, not great. Well, I said more than adequate, but I, I said I said good. And some of it was Munkin's yeah. scheme. I mean, the, the, the amount of run checks that Georgia can call at the line of scrimmage, but you've still got to have the players with the aptitude and the athleticism. I guess, you know, just seeing, you know, uh, Jamari and, 
and Justin down there at the senior bowl. And they, they both had their moments. I mean, neither one was perfect, but I mean, this is, this is a really, you know, it, it wasn't what it was the year before. I think there was a little bit of a drop off. Um, and even the year before that with Andrew Thomas, but I think this offensive line is going to be back in the, you know, could they be the great wall once again? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but, Man, Amarius Mims is a guy, Brandon. I, I know you said he hasn't proved it yet, but I think this guy's the real deal, man. I think he's got to be on the field somewhere next year. Certainly hoping to – I mean, speaking as a Georgia fan here, I'm certainly certainly hoping to see that. Uh, Joel Moody, Jeff, asked a really good question in the comments section, and we'll kind of move into our cover more here and get a few comments and get ready to bounce out here after this. It's actually a really good question. 2022 roster, who can Georgia least afford to lose? And Ooh, I don't know I like that it. I've even thought about this yet, so it's going to take me a second to come up with my answer. Um, so if you want to pass on it, I'll go to somebody else. But uh, uh, who, who can you least afford to lose? Is it an obvious answer that I'm not thinking of? Pretty obvious for me. I guess I would go Jalen Carter. If you don't have Jalen Carter, then you unravel a lot of the positions of strength you have on the defensive line. And you're already losing Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and Jordan Davis. I, I, think, I think the other name that I think folks should probably think about there – uh, I'll let Connor go ahead. Connor, who's your name? Yeah, Jeff, I'm, ju I'm just worried that you're going to take my answer here. I mean, you can't give six, seven answers when you're the first guy off the bat. I'll take the one guy on this team who I think is a better player than Jalen Carter, and that is Brock Bowers with all that this Georgia offense is going to be asked to yeah. do next season. Give me Bowers as the guy they can't afford to lose. I know they've got Darnell Washington. They've potentially got Eric Gilbert. Brock Bowers has shown that he is better than both of those guys. And I think if you lose him, you lose a very, very, very important piece of this offense, which as Mike has laid out, I think has a very high ceiling and is going to need to reach that ceiling if Georgia is going to get to where it wants to get to. Yeah, uh, Mike, I think Connor's right. And we'll get ready to wrap up after this, that the whole world knew he was getting the football. Think about the Orange Bowl. He had a month to get ready for that game. Michigan saw he had, what, Double, he had double-digit catch against Alabama in the SEC championship. Yeah, yeah. Michigan knew that this was the guy Georgia wanted to throw to. Yet first drive of the game, he is wide open, more open than I am right now in the end zone for a touchdown. This is a guy that just gets open no matter what. That I'm not saying he's the only pass-catching target Georgia has, but he's the only pass-catching target on this roster and really in a lot of years who's put up the kind of numbers that he's put up. I think I think the Bowers is probably the right answer just given the – overall statistical load that he uh, carried for Georgia a year ago? Probably the team MVP last year. If you go back and look at the one guy that maybe they don't win a championship with, it might be Brock Bowers. When you think about how many catches he made, the go-to plays, the opening drives. I mean, he, he was amazing. He was an amazing – he is an amazing player. And Nicobe. I, I, huh? What's it, Jeff? Nicobe. I got you. Got to throw Nickobe's name in this conversation. You got to team MVPs. Oh, I think, think Nickobe's a great player, but I think because there was Channing and Quay, yeah, I, there, there was nobody. If you lose Brock, there's there's nobody stepping into those shoes doing. Yeah, that. Jeff. To Mike's point, I mean, you're right. Nickobe Dean is nom as a nominee, but if you can only pick one, I don't know that that Brock isn't the right pick there. So I'm gonna go because Connor and Jeff have given you great answers with Jalen. Certainly the most – maybe the indispensable, you know, player from last year, okay? But I would – Jalen is certainly the most indispensable player on defense. Brock is, you know, no question the most indispensable player on offense. So I'm going to go with the next guy. And the next guy that I'm going with, and I know you guys are probably already foaming at the mouth, getting ready – you already know who I'm going to pick. But the reason I'm going to pick it is because I think this piece is very important – 
in Todd Munkin's offense, and that's the pass-catching running back. That was James Cook last year. I think that's going to be Kenny McIntosh this year. Interesting. 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 Uh, I mean, listen, that's a very versatile weapon to have, and I do think the McIntosh is – Got a similar skill set to Cook, and I certainly would not wanted to play a big game without Cook last year. I can promise you that. So that's a part of this discussion. Uh, let's get a couple more comments, and we'll get ready to get out of here. Uh, BA, yeah. I also could have said Broderick Jones as well at left tackle. That would okay. have been another. Okay, there you go. Uh, uh, all interesting names for sure. Jeff, your hand is up while I look for more comments. Yeah, I, I would just say, like, I'm not – changing my answer or, you know, deflating anything that Connor or Mike said. But I tell you what, if you don't have Chris Smith back there in the defensive backfield, suddenly you lose a whole lot of snaps and stability back there. I think his name needs to be floated along in the discussion because you got to figure out who's the other corner. You got Keeley, you got who's Darian, and then you got no more Lewis seen and, you know, maybe William Poole. But Lewis, I mean, with, with Chris Smith, Chris Smith helps a lot in that back end. Yeah, I mean, that's the one spot, you know, Connor, where I mean, they obviously rotate a lot more at corner historically than they do at the safety. They find a couple safeties who can get the job done, and if they're healthy, they're staying on the football field. And obviously that's what Lewis Seen was before. Richard LeCount was that before him, and JRE was that before him. And Christopher Smith is that kind of guy this year for Georgia, right? To harken back to a point Jeff made earlier, Chris Smith is the Warren McClendon of this defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty wow. good. That's pretty good. Very good. Um, Brandon Griffin says he thinks that Brock Bowers is better than Kyle Pitts. Um, what do you think about mm-hmm. that, Mike? Ooh, I don't know. I agree, I, I agree because because Bowers, uh, you know, is also a good blocker. And but but to your point, I mean, you said it, Brandon. I mean, Brock Bowers was so amazing last year. And um, I'll tell you, we had him on a uh, on on our Dog Nation channel one night. And he's just the coolest, most laid-back, unassuming guy. I can't wait for the public to get full doses of him next year. He's just a he's just a California dude, and not not overly impressed with himself. Not a guy that stopped to really take notice at these just mind-blowing numbers. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the numbers are so preposterous. Uh, I don't even know. You know, they handed the ball off. He he went deep. He went medium range. The runs after the catch were just amazing. He looks like some figure you'd create in a video game. Like his numbers were all jacked up. What they call those sliders, Connor? Like his sliders were all the way to 10, right? It is true that statistically, like he was on the verge of having this like historic year. And I, I think it did take people a while to figure out that like this is like one of the best patch catching years in the program's history. They've been playing football since 1892. No one's ever caught a football more prolifically than Bowers was uh, this year. You know, Mike's right, Connor. It did sort of, and we'll finish with this, it did sort of seem to take people a while to figure out, not to just the fact that he's good or good for a tight end or good for whatever else. He's like the greatest that's ever done it in the Georgia uniform in terms of catching the football. Yeah, I think it's that first Alabama game where I think that was when a lot of people realized this guy is just truly a different breed because he was productive all season, made big catches, had 100 yards against Kentucky, had multiple touchdowns against Georgia Tech, ran through that Georgia Tech defense there. How much that Georgia Tech defense wanted to tackle him is a question that still probably needs to be answered. But that Alabama game, that first Alabama game, he goes out and does that stars in the opening moments of the Michigan game and then ends the season catching Georgia's uh, touchdown pass on Georgia's final offensive mm-hmm. play of the season, I think just speaks to how great of a player he was this past season. 
All right. Anybody? Uh, uh, Marshall Fleming said Saban said he's one of the f- five best players last year. I, I didn't realize he'd said that. But that's a cool thing to have said. Anybody else got anything they want to say before we go? Anybody got a final uh, final thought? I, I got a final thought. If, instead of watching a really sad movie or reading sad poetry, watch Georgia basketball. These these guys are playing their asses off, and they just can't get a break. They are playing so hard, but they're just not good enough. I mean, I watched it against Auburn, and Auburn's bigger, stronger, faster, better, and you know they, they just brought you to the brink. And I watched that Arkansas court storming, and I thought that should have happened at Georgia Saturday. It was such a tremendous environment. The fact that these guys haven't given up. I mean, there's look, it's embarrassing. They're one in ten in the league. 6 and 17. The fact that they're still battling, that they're going on a 10-0 run with 6 minutes left in Gainesville. I mean, what are they even playing for? They're just playing hard and, and Cario Aquendo, Super Cario as we call him. This guy's dynamic. There's not much to say other than these guys are fighting, but they just don't have the juice and you know, I I would like to see them get a win because they are playing hard. But they just don't have the. When your two best players are out for the year, and this SEC is as ferocious as ever, and unless you've been under FBI investigation or you're a lifetime cheat, you're just not good in the SEC these days. And I don't know when George is going to catch up, when they're going to pony up the money. But watching these guys play is inspiring, but watching them lose is tough because they are really playing hard and. They're just not getting the results. Well, I will say this. I did watch that game at Bud Walton on, I guess it was Tuesday night, man. It's hard not to be jealous of that, both in terms of the success that Auburn's enjoyed all season long, but just the way that crowd responded to this Arkansas bunch on uh, earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday. What a, what a performance that was. It is a reminder of what college basketball you know, could be, and I just hope to experience that at some point in time. I used to go to all those games, Tubby Smith era, Jim Herrick era. I was a very big college basketball fan. I'd love to get back to doing some of that kind of stuff again. Anybody else got anything else? Yeah, Rams 21, Bengals 12. Oh, wow. There's wow, the there you go. Connor going reciprocal uh, wow. scores. That's a, <laughs> that's quite a, a bold decision. I think the Rams' defensive front's too much for the Bengals' offensive line. That's as, that's as I guess, as simple as I, I think it needs to be. Cannot block that bunch. Jeff, you got a final thought, Super Bowl pick or anything else? Yeah, Rams 31, Bengals 30. It'd be a great game. The fitting, wow. fitting chapter to the end of our football season and probably, I don't know how you guys feel, but one of the most satisfying and enriching college football seasons and pro football seasons of our lifetimes, especially the pro football playoffs. Uh, a parting nugget for me, guys, is Tate Ratledge was coming out of uh, practice last fall either one of the third or fourth best linemen, at least on that front, coming off a redshirt season. Everybody knows about the glory, glory of 2021. Just imagine what it would have been like had Tate Ratledge probably continued to blossom and become probably potentially an all-SEC lineman in his first season on the field. Uh, How much greater things would have gotten later for Georgia in 2021? That only bodes well for 2022. I I guess I'd say – I agree. On the Super Bowl pick, I mean, I'm I'm going to be the wild card and go with the Bengals, but because because Joe Burrow, you know, and I remember Kirby Smart before the 2019 SEC Championship game saying that 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 LSU offense was he'd never seen anything like it, and two of those weapons uh, are part of the Cincinnati Bengals, and and but Burrow's just one guy. I know the common sense plays the Rams because their defense is so good, but man, Joe Burrow is just that guy is so special and that I just can't, I can't bet against him. He should have been dead against the chiefs, 
should have been over with. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to take the wild card. I wouldn't bet any money on it, but I just I, I have a hard time going against Joe Burrow, man. That guy's that guy seems to have it going right now. There you go. Any, uh, good stuff. Uh, great to be here on Cover Four Live. I'm sure, we'll be back again very soon. Jeff's already gotten kicked back and relaxed. He's ready. Jeff's already started his weekend over there in the bottom right hand corner of our Cover Four screen. You love to see that. Congratulations to him on that front. Hey, all of you, thanks for being here. Uh, we will look forward to seeing you again. I, I, listen, my weekend doesn't start for a while. I got dog naked day tomorrow. I'm going to drag Jeff on the air for that. Connor and Mike got you some good stuff coming to dognation.com. And, of course, we look forward to seeing you all again here very soon on Cover 4 Live as well. Have a great night.